We continue on in the book of Acts this morning in Acts chapter 9, looking at verses 17 through 19. Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes, that is Saul's eyes, something like scales. And he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. And so when he had received food, he was strengthened. And Saul spent some time, some days, with the disciples at Damascus. Thanks be to God for his word. Last time we saw Ananias, by the way, with this man, the name Ananias is somewhat redeemed. For if we remember the first Ananias that we ran into in the book of Acts, we'll find that he was not one who honored the name. He was one along with his wife who lied to the Holy Spirit. And they ended up being killed by the Lord. But this Ananias, he proved truly to be one who was a man of God. And when told to go to Saul, while he didn't refuse... As we saw last week, he does offer up a few objections to the task. Verses 13 and 14, he said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. There seems to be, as we pointed out, something in man that he feels the need somehow to instruct God or to attempt to see, cause him to see things differently. We saw a few examples of that last time. And to those, we can add names such as Moses. Now, I'm not the one to go to speak. I don't speak very well at all. Or Gideon. I'd like to go, but I'm not much. Let me lay out the fleece. And after laying out the fleece the first time, he says, let me lay it out again. But God was gracious with Ananias and cleared away his fears. So that without further objection or caution or desire to excuse himself, he quietly yields and cheerfully obeys. He has been told of the work that God has for Saul. Christ has informed Ananias on this. Ananias knows what he is supposed to tell him. 
But I don't think he fully understands the dimension of what he has entered into. It is true that I think if you read through some of the prophecies in the Old Testament, some of the prophecies in the Psalms, that those who were the prophets had an idea, but not perhaps the depth of what it is that they were prophesying. I can tell you as a Christian about what there is to come for us. What what heaven, that there is a heaven. And it is a place where righteousness dwells. And foretell, foretell the word of God in that way. But I, even as I give this, do not know the dimension of what I'm talking about. Because I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has in store for those who love him. So I can tell you about these things. We can rejoice in these things, but we rejoice in that which we really don't have a full grasp of the dimension of what we're talking about. That he, Ananias, would go to Saul. And what Saul would end up meaning to the church. He is fulfilling a task that the Lord Jesus has called him to do. And perhaps verse 16 stayed uppermost in his mind of the things that he was to tell Saul. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake. Now as we begin this passage, we see Ananias quickly responding in obedience to what he's been called to do. We just make a quick notation of the house that he's going to. The house is owned by a man named Judas. And again, at that time, the name Judas was a very popular name. But this Judas will be more remembered for his hospitality. And that his house was the very place that the true conversion of Saul took place. Maybe after it, there was a bronze plaque on the outside of the house on State Street, Straight Street. Can you say that three times fast? Straight Street, Straight Street. I guess you can. So let's look at the mission first. The mission is this. The mission is simple. Go to the house of Judas and speak the words which I have told you to speak and perform the function you have been instructed to perform. And the first thing we see in verse 17 is the greeting that Ananias gives to Saul. He greets him by addressing him as Brother Saul. He's not talked to Saul at any time prior to this. They've had no discourse. But on the basis of what the Lord Jesus Christ has revealed to, to Ananias about Saul, he can come into him and say, Brother Saul. I say, well, then he must have been a fellow Jew. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's not a fellow tribesman. Instead, on the basis of what Christ has revealed to Ananias by way of vision, 
Ananias greets him as brother because Paul is now of the same faith, that household of faith. And when we greet someone as a brother or a sister in Christ, we are acknowledging them as one who is of a like faith, a fellow child of God, one for whom Christ has shed his blood. We are professing an eternal bond that we share, the same brotherhood, the same family. Now, as he greets him, there's something else that's taking place. Ananias lays his hands on him. And in doing so, this is a message without words. The action of laying his hands on Saul serves first to consecrate him, to set him apart. It is, in its most basic form, simply a mark of identification. It was a common practice in Judaism to lay hands on those who had been committed to God. One thing we should not forget, Christianity didn't just pop up when Christ came. Not like Buddhism or some of the other man-made religions that just seem to appear, Christianity, we can find the seed of Christianity is found in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we see that seed germinate. In uh, Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 20. Leviticus 16 verse 20. And when he had made an end of atoning for the holy place the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. He shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat. Symbolically doing this, symbolically setting aside that this is the scapegoat. This is the goat, this, this particular one. And we come to the New Testament, we find something similar, not in the passing on of sins, but notice in Acts chapter 6 and in verse 6, after they chose the seven... At the end of verse 6, when they sat before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they did what? They laid hands on them. In the presence of all those who were there, the seven that they had chosen, the apostles say, okay, these are the ones. And they went one by one, laying hands on those to signify that these men had been consecrated, set apart for that service. Now there's been a lot of ink 
that's been poured out over the generations about what it means for the laying out of hands. In many charismatic circles, it is, it is forgiving people the Holy Spirit. I lay hands on them, they receive the Holy Spirit and they receive miraculous gifts. But let's understand something really clear on this. By the grace of God, we receive the Holy Spirit from God, sent by Christ to us. We receive it, we don't give it. It's like the parable of the ten virgins. Five were wise with what they did. They're all, and five were not. And, and the other five, when the bridegroom came, said, Give us some of your all. Said, well, it's not ours to give. That's the whole thing with, we just saw with Simon. He wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. Well, you have the Holy Spirit, so give it to well, show me. Sell it to me so I can give it to others. But it's not the Holy Spirit. Is not something that we give to others. It's not like if I rub shoulders with somebody on a bus, first off, then I'd be very uncomfortable. But then secondly, they would not all of a sudden, boing! And for many occasions in the book of Acts, there were times where laying of, a, of hands, on of hands resulted in extraordinary gifts of the Spirit. But there are just as many times that the, there were the laying of hands that nothing happened. That it was just pure confirmation. We just read one there in Acts 6. Benjamin Keach, an early Baptist forefather that we have talked about in the past, was one of the signers of, our, of the 1689 Confession, but also when the 1689 was brought over to the colonies, he was behind also an addition to what is commonly called the Philadelphia Confession of Faith. And in chapter 31 of that Philadelphia Confession, it is written, we believe that laying out of hands with prayer upon baptized believers as such is an ordinance of Christ that ought to be submitted unto by all such persons that are admitted to partake of the Lord's Supper. And that the end of this ordinance is not for the extraordinary gifts of the Spirit, but for a farther reception of the Holy Spirit of promise or for the addition of the graces of the Spirit and the influences thereof to confirm, strengthen, and comfort them in Christ Jesus. I didn't really stop to think until I was doing a little research here, but every time I've ever done a baptism, one of the things as I bring whoever it is up out of the water, I always place hands on them and pray over them. And it's not that I'm giving them any kind of spe special gift or anything like that. It's to signify now. 
by the laying out of hands that this one has professed Christ. This one is now entry into the church of Christ. Keach said it was like in Ephesians 1 and verse 13, the sealing of the Spirit. In Acts, we see both things happen, but let us remember, in verse 11, we are told, in chapter 9, verse 11, Ananias is informed by Christ that Paul is praying. He is praying. In that three-day period that he was without his sight, don't you think that if you were blind and you were praying to God and you just recently became blind, would it not be one of your prayers to receive your sight? I mean, wouldn't that just make sense if all of a sudden you've lived all these years with, as a sighted person, now after this incident, you can't see. It's kind of like the father of John the Baptist who goes into the temple to pray and he's praying and the angel comes and says to him, the Lord has heard your prayer. And you will have a son. And, <laughs> and Father John the Baptist says, Come on, I'm too old for this. Well, if you're too old for it, what were you doing praying for it in the first place? I mean, you can really understand why he was made that he couldn't talk for a little while to get over that uh, problem that he had. So it wouldn't be unusual for Saul beginning to put things together. It was the bright light of Christ that blinded his eyes. Could it be the grace of Christ that would give him sight again? And it would seem clear by the words Ananias spoke that the laying on of hands by Ananias to Saul was not to heal Saul, but to confirm in the mind of Saul that it was Jesus Christ who was healing him. He wasn't doing a Benny Hinn swinging his white jacket and carrying on like a man without sense. But he wanted it to be clear in the mind of Saul that Saul, you're about to receive your sight and you better know where it comes from. Ananias didn't take a bow after that and say, ha ha, look at me. And because of that, Ananias went his way, entered the house and laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Ananias made it clear. It's not me doing this. It is Christ who has sent me. It is Christ who is healing you. Now we looked at Acts chapter 22 last week. We'll look at it again just to refresh what Paul, now Paul, as, as one time Saul said about this incident. 
He said in Acts 22 and verse 12, And a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. And then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men what you have seen and heard. Now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So this is the incident as we see it in both cases here. Now back at chapter 9 and verse 17, there are two things that Ananias said that Christ has sent him to. One is that he will have a restoration of his sight for sure, but then secondly would be the filling <coughs> excuse me, of the Holy Spirit. Now let's get something understood here. Saul slash Paul already has the Holy Spirit. That's why he was able to refer to Jesus as Lord. He already received the Spirit, else he would not have been able to call Jesus Lord, for it was Paul himself who wrote in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3, no one can call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What did Saul say as he laid there on the ground? Lord, what would you have me to do? Is that you, Lord? When he had said that, Jesus had already identified himself to Saul. And the graces of the Holy Spirit in the light of truth, were dawning on him at that very moment. Now the filling that would come would not be so Paul would be like a wild man, but the filling that he's speaking of is the gifts and graces by God through the Spirit for the work that Saul or Paul was going to have to do. He could not, in his own ability... Just break out and start going around as a missionary. There had to be gifts and graces given to him by God for that task. And that is what this filling is all about. It's certainly similar to what he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4. Paul said, Timothy in verse 14, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. That's a, he's instructing him in, in how he was to work in the ministry. And the gifts, remember the gifts that you were given for the Holy Spirit that were ratified, if you will, by the laying on of hands in chapter 5 and verse 22. He says, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Do not lay hands hastily, either to ordain someone to the ministry <clears throat> or to accept them as a brother.
the idea that Ananias or any of the apostles had the Holy Spirit to give is refuted, as we said back in Acts chapter 8, when Simon asks Peter to sell him the Spirit. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, we are filled within, but we have empty hands. We cannot transfer the Holy Spirit to anybody. The laying on of hands is purely symbolic. And here we see there's a major result that comes from it. In verse 18, immediately, once it was clear who it was that was doing the healing, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. They weren't exactly scales, but something like scales. And when we look at this, the scales have both physical and spiritual dimensions to them. For they represented, as they fell away from Saul, they represented the scales of ignorance. Ignorance of himself. Ignorance of Christ. Ignorance of his sin. The ignorance of what true righteousness is. The ignorance of the true purpose of the law. The true ignorance of the gospel of Jesus. The true ignorance of pride, of malice, of envy, of false doctrine. All these are represented by the falling away from his eyes. These scales. The old way that he saw things is now gone. And he sees things newly. Ways that he had never seen them before. Spiritually is what we're getting at. Now what does Saul do in all this? What was Saul's activity? You know, that's the way we think about religious things. We've got to be doing something to get something. You got to do to get. And that's not the case. He did absolutely nothing. Find anything that he did here. Find any activity of Saul making him worthy to receive. If the grace of God had not come to him, he would just be a blind old fool. He's motionless. It is the Lord who speaks and works. And he uses the means of a simple servant, not a super saint. That's another thing that we find. That is, oh, well, this, this brother has the, the special gift. I didn't think deception was a gift of the Holy Spirit. Here, it is a simple servant, Ananias, who is used by God as a means to transform a vile sinner by grace. You know, every one of us needs that to happen to us. And we don't need Ananias to come in and lay our, his hands on us. But we need to receive the things that Paul received. 
and to come to the understanding and have our blindness removed. You see, we, before salvation, have a spiritual blindness and deadness about us. Every miracle that Jesus did on his earthly ministry, in his earthly ministry, had a symbolic aspect to it. Making the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, and even raising from the dead. But in this therapeutic age that we live in, And with all the Osteens and the others who we don't want to talk about sin or we don't want to make people feel bad about their self-image. You know, self-image is very important. How, how you see yourself is really very important. And if, if I can do anything, I want, to, I want you to see yourself as a winner. Don't harm people's image of themselves. Don't do that. Would you rather spend the rest of your life as a blind, vile, wrath-deserving sinner or as a child of God saved by grace? The truth hurts, yeah. That we, we truly are sinners. And you say, well, yeah, but I'm not the sinner like Paul was, Saul was. I didn't do those sort of things. It doesn't matter. Every sin is enough to send you to torment because you've sinned against an eternal God and perfect holiness. See, that's the, th- the first thing, isn't it? The, the mindset works. Well, you know, I'm not as bad a sinner as Saul. Let's really put the binoculars where we need to see them. Look at God. How are you compared to him? That's the comparison. Be holy as I am holy. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you by no means enter the kingdom of God. Oh, all that information. So yeah, okay, maybe you didn't round up Christians and punish them. But your catalog of sins is pretty large. And we have nothing with which to pay it off. And even if we could, as soon as we pay it off, we start all over again. So what, what is it? In order to protect your feelings about yourself, you'd just soon stay a blind, vile, wrath-deserving sinner? Or, knowing the truth, will you flee to Christ? And through His grace and mercy, and by His righteousness, Become a child of God. Let's stand together for prayer.